BAFTA creates platforms for open debate, and so the views expressed in this programme are only those of the contributors. Hello, I'm Dave Green, and welcome to BAFTA's monthly podcast highlighting some of our events and online activities. This month we've had the Children's Awards. Many acclaimed writers and performers have worked in kids' TV early in their careers, from Julian Fellow's Little Lord Fauntleroy to Stephen Moffat's Press Gang. But is this still a good way into the industry? Is it somehow easier than writing for adults? And how do you avoid talking down to your audience? I hope you're sitting comfortably, because here come some nice people to tell you all about it. So here to educate me about how children's TV might have changed since I used to watch it, we've got three experts currently working in the industry. First, James Lamont, BAFTA-winning writer of The Amazing World of Gumball, which also won this year's Children's BAFTA for Animation. James, Hello. it's possible that uh, some of our listeners might be outside your usual audience. Yep, yep. So could, could you tell us a bit about Gumball's world? What, what makes it so amazing? Um, it's, an inter- it's a really interesting show. Um, it's, you know, it's a family show, uh, family sitcom. The way we approach the show is to write a family sitcom similar to The Simpsons, but age it down a bit for a younger audience. Essentially, it's about a 12-year-old blue cat named Gumball who has a sort of stepbrother called Darwin. And they live in a family and the family lives in a town, you know, they go to school and things like that. One of the things that makes the show very interesting is the animation style, which I think is quite revolutionary and sort of uses 2D, 3D and live action animation all mashed up together. So it's quite sort of a new style, which I think is immediately engaging for an audience. And then we back that, well, we try to back that up with good and funny stories. And the, uh, the BAFTAs agree with you. Uh, so next, we've, we've got Ellie Brewer, nominated in this year's Children's Awards for Tracy Beaker Returns. So Ellie, in, in more than 10 years on screen, you and Tracy Beaker have covered uh, some quite dramatic territory. Yes. Um, well, it's, it's been a long time. I, I developed the original story of Tracy Beaker for the BBC, and that started, I think, when Danny Harmer, who plays Tracy, was about... 11 10 or 11 and then when now she's an adult they got me me and some ben ward who i write with sometimes they got us back in to reformat to to uh, do tracy beaker returns which uh, has just finished its third series this year um so yes and danny's i think 23 now so yes it's been a long time can you tell us some of the things that have happened like that give us the, the broad overview of the story <laughs> um, <laughs> Just a few well, seconds. Well, roughly, a uh, story of Tracy Beaker is about a child I- in a uh, care home and the trials and tribulations of living in care and what it's really like to live in care. And then Tracy Beaker Returns was when Tracy came back to work as a care worker, trainee care worker in the dumping ground, because that happens with a lot of kids in care. You find often they go back and work in the care system. So it's probably fair to say that it's more drama-based, although it's still got comedy in it, but the mix is more... We try to do issue-based stories, uh, as well as light and fluffy ones as well, but it's it, we try to reflect more the reality of what it's like to be in care. And finally, uh, Maddie Darrell, who's a co-founder of the independent production company Darrell McQueen, and I'm, I'm just going to list uh, some of their uh, children's programs now. Um, Maddie, can you can you give us a, a quick description of each? You, like, you you get me. Teen drama for CBBC ten years ago now. That's good. A- animal spies. Uh, CITV mixed media 
animal stories brought to life with comedy voiceovers. Bear Behaving Badly. Oh, sitcom, much loved, still on screen on CBBC and it's about fourth series. Mad Cap, challenges between a blue bear and an angry caretaker. Uh, the, the Fluffy Cob. Uh, CITV morning show with a um, a duck that spoke for preschoolers. Oh, this this is great. I could just keep. <laughs> I, 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 could, I, 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 could, I could I could keep going. <laughs> Pet Squad, Baby J. Yeah. But you know, people can go to your website and uh, and find out more. So uh, just to give us more uh, of an overview of uh, of the landscape, uh, let's take a look at the uh, the winners and nominees uh, from this year's ceremony. So are, are the are the, the programmes here that you, that you really admire that like uh, that give give you an idea of uh, who's who's making uh, great television now i think definitely some some of the shows in here are, are fantastic and i think um i think horrible histories is has well deserved its three-year crown now i think is it is, might, it, is it more might be more than might that might even be sure. more than that ben ward who i write with he writes horrible histories is, so is, is he in horrible histories does he that? does creep in occasionally <laughs> cheeky puss yes <laughs> i think it's great because it makes history really accessible because i mean i have no memory so anything that makes me laugh i tend to remember something so it's just a great way in i mean it's so ferociously popular and deservedly mm. so i think it's a great show and it's run and run, as you say. So like, they're, they're not running out of history. No, and never presu- going to run out of history. <laughs> and presumably every year people keep coming back and going, I'm up against uh, horrible histories again. Uh, Maddie, uh, like, uh, so you were involved in the, the factual category. Yes, I was. But I mean, there are uh, an amazing array of um, really impressive winners and runners up this year. I, I really love the Four O'Clock Club, which has been a, a new drama series running on CBBC for, gosh, over a year now. I think the scripting's wonderful, um, a really fresh, lovely premise about a young boy in a school whose older brother comes back to be his teacher at the school and also I think Roy which is made by Jam Media in Dublin directed by Al Shannon and he has just created the most wonderful show which is very real set in a very ordinary Irish family where a very crudely but beautifully crudely animated boy uh, basically lives and is part of this family called Roy and uh, the scripts are fantastic and it's very funny and I was just over the moon to see it win this year, really, you know. It's missed out on a lot of awards, Roy, and it deserved one at last. And I'm hardly bitter at all that it beat Tracy Beaker Returns, mm. one of my episodes. But let's just not go there. <laughs> You've had some BAFTAs in your time for, for Tracy Beaker, or...? Uh, yes, we did. We won a couple of years ago, but uh, yes. So I'm not complaining. Roy's a great show. I'm mm. not... Uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> and are, 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 are there other categories that that, that you know, that, that, that you that you follow or, or programs that you're familiar with? Trifu Tom, I'm very familiar with. That's a fun show. Again, it's a preschool show. I mean, I don't know how how well you know the show. It was in the inter- interactive category, and it encourages the kids in the audience to perform a certain amount of dance moves that they sort of disguise as spells. And the idea being, I think that. Uh, it can help with, you know, kinesthetic learning for kids and for sort of combating things like dyspraxia, which um, is quite quite a sort of um, valid condition to, to tackle, I think. Uh, I think there were a few other sort of real standout shows like that from CBeebies this year. And obviously CBeebies and CBeebies, CBBC and CBeebies do tend to dominate the children's BAFTAs, mm. not, you know, exclusively, but they do dominate. And I think also um, Justin's House... Um, that one is 
is another um, very simple, I mean, it's really a, a live action pantomime once a week. But in my household, I have a nearly three year old and a four year old. And it is an appointment to view on a Saturday and Sunday, uh, five o'clock in front of that telly watching Justin's house. And not only do I think it was a wonderful commission to try something with a um, with a live audience, with somebody um, uh, like Justin Fletcher doing such great interaction and slapstick panto, but also fantastic scheduling for parents to put it on at five o'clock uh, over a weekend. Um, yeah. uh, very clever and deserving of a BAFTA for scheduling as well as But audiences, young people really love slapstick. Yeah, I mean, they really, they do. really do when it's done well, like the mm, Chuckle yeah, Brothers. True, mm, They've true. been going for a very, very long time. That that, you know that really goes down well doesn't it they're behaving badly that we make as a yeah. sitcom i mean is absolutely took so much from the chuckle brothers which is just a, a fantastic heritage brand for um cbbc and bear behaving badly sort of picked up that mantle and uh, shot well and scripted really well with the stories of gotta have heart you know it's yeah. all from the script and the story that you know slapstick is loved by children well, that's when slapstick's best really is when it's um integral to the like like tied into the narrative yeah. and like so much funnier if someone you know being hit in the face by a spade if they're on the way to try and save their sister from Completely. life and death situation you know when the stakes are higher the, the slapstick's funnier and I think um, but that's what you guys have done really really well with what you've done with Gumball and I think why much, it yeah. has but it's true and I think why that's really worked I mean I, I, I get sent a huge volume of scripts of people who want to write crazy zany uh-huh. children yeah so here's the next spongebob the next well it's now here's the next gumball <laughs> and it's amazing how many of those scripts write slapstick but the slapstick and the, the yeah. humor doesn't work there's such there's a no it's got to come out of the story hasn't yeah. it because i just remembered yeah. i wrote emu oh, i mean that was pretty wow. heavy for slapstick mm. not the rod hull one uh-huh. but his son yeah, um, yeah. Oh, is that the citv one yeah that yeah. one right okay. so i was one of the writers on that right. as major slapstick characters yeah. in there you know and it's great if you, it's got to come out of the story yeah. absolutely yeah. It has to completely. come from the characters and from and from the 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 story the plot of the action um but i think gumball in that way has been a real game changer i think it's made producers like us be much clearer with writers now why shows don't work when yeah. they're just sending me in especially for animation crazy zany mad and you think yeah. i i don't this isn't funny because i don't care about any it's not funny because as you say they weren't on the way to do anything i cared about yeah 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 it's such a fine line between and you have to in, in, include physical comedy you absolutely have to and, and certainly when you start writing cartoons you have to because I'm from a sort of more um, adult comedy background. Um, so when you sort of start writing cartoons, you have to drill yourself into writing physical comedy. But there's such a fine line between like cartoony, wacky madness and good physical jokes that 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 will really get the get the laugh. And um, it, it's that sort of thing as well about like if anything if anything can happen, why should anything happen? If you see what I mean. If 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 he can fall into a chocolate river and and get you know flown to the moon in a spaceship like we're gonna we're gonna stop caring pretty soon it has to be those kind of like real moments that that come in 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 a sort of real way despite despite the fact that they're large and colorful and 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 in in animation theory theoretically you you know you have you have no constraints yeah well until until the producers get involved and we look at the budget exactly (laughs) well and actually yeah but i think it's right i think you can do anything or you can be relatively surreal as you like as long as it comes out of character Mm -hmm. and story because then you go with it because you you're invested in it yeah 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 it has to mean something Mm. yeah 
all useful advice. And uh, and just to wrap this up, uh, and so there was a special award given to Brian Cosgrove. Oh yeah, who of course. I mean, I mean, best known to me for for Danger Mouse. But do, do, and do, were you, were you and, fans of his work? And Duckula was a big Count one for Duckula. me. Count Duckula was on air. I think it was one of the first shows I did for TVS. And Count Duckula was on after us. I yeah. think it was. Um, I said, that was a great show. I, Count Duckula. I, I yeah, loved it. absolutely loved it. Yeah, going back a few years here, but it was well, a great. That's what, so t- and TVS was the was the TV, southern TVS, TV franchise yes, before Meridian. They, they were the ones who used to make Number Seventy Three, which is where I started with, with Sandy Toxfig. Well, Sandy something. wasn't on it because I wrote with Sandy for five years after that, but but Sandy wasn't on it when I started working on Seventy Three. But then we did a magazine show called Toxfig which she fronted and Duckula was on then so it was yeah. around that time absolutely loved those shows both both uh, Danger Mouse and Count Duckula were just just something that you just knew as a kid that you could just sit watch and enjoy mm-hmm. from start to finish and great laughs great characters really well deserved award in my opinion mm. and ju- just to find just going back to your point about budget Chalton and the Wheelies, apparently. The reason all the other characters is a Cosgrove Hall uh, production. The reason all the uh, all the other characters were on wheels is so they didn't have to animate their legs. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, he said he said in the um, in the speech when he was giving when um, uh, David Jason was giving the award, he was talking about scenes that often ended in dark caves where you only had to yeah, animate right one eyes. eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, which is, that's reminded me of Trapdoor, which was an animation oh, that was yeah. on in number seventy three. Kind of claymation. I loved, loved Trapdoor. Loved Trapdoor. Willie Russell, I think, was the voiceover on yeah, that. I think it was. That yeah. was a top piece of animation. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a be- beautiful thing. Yeah. I think we're going to have to postpone uh, more of our nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until, well, like, until after we've heard, we, we've heard uh, some more practical advice as to um, what the opportunities are uh, for you to join, uh, for listeners to join these, uh, these award winners in future. Take the case of Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, most famous these days for Peep Show and Fresh Meat. But they started out on hit kids' programmes like ITV's My Parents Are Aliens. This is Jesse talking about it, but first, Sam Bain. I think the thing we most learnt from, definitely, in our early days was writing kids' sitcoms because obviously you learn narrative and you do it in a very protected environment where you're not being slagged off in the national papers because no-one writes those kind of reviews for kids' shows and, and it's a nice sort of um, place to be educated by really talented script editors and producers and that was kind of crucial to our training, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, I think you probably either have that kind of brain which thinks of things in a comic way or not and that was just there and you can turn it to sketches or you can try and write a sitcom or a comedy drama and different people have strengths in different areas but probably everyone who's here is here because they have a little bit of that attitude towards life that they can't help seeing a news story or a human situation and thinking well there is a funny way to think about that as well. The, the top tip there seems to be get yourself a commission to write a kid's comedy, which is yes. tricky. Can you be more specific? About- well, we, we tried that and didn't, we tried to write our own. But what was the saving grace for us was writing on other people's shows. So the thing with American sitcoms is there's a team written ethos and you get a job as a baby writer writing on a show and you do an episode and you hope yourself work up to running your own show. And that system really works in many ways. We don't have it here for various reasons. We don't have... My family shows, you know, aren't, they don't exist so much mm. now. But it, certainly when we were writing, I don't know about kids' shows these days, but when we were doing it sort of 10 years ago, there were shows like My Parents Aliens, Tracy Beaker, where you would actually get hired to write one or two episodes as part of a 20-episode run. They would give you the opportunity, and it's brilliant. 
So that was uh, Peep Show Sam and Jesse talking to Tom Sutcliffe at a BAFTA event and probably on our website somewhere. So, James, how did how did you get started on Gumball? Um, well, uh, I write with a writing partner called John Foster, and we do all our work together. And we had just recently got writing, and we were working for adult sketch shows like uh, Armstrong and Miller and School of Comedy and shows like this. And through that, had earned ourselves an agent. And at that point, we got sent a one-minute animation test for Gumball and a couple of um, animatic-type things. And the moment that we saw it, we thought, right, okay, we've got to get on this. This is one of the sort of opportunities that comes along where you really sort of have to drop everything and just sort of focus your all of your energies on on winning the job. Um, so so, so um, what, what's an animation? Uh, oh, okay, so an animatic. An, well, an animation test is just where they do some full animation of what the final show will look like, not necessarily off of a very sort of highly scripted piece of, of, of show, just something to show what it will look like. And an animatic is very much a moving storyboard, um, which is a, a selection of hand-drawn panels sort of edited together with a soundtrack that give the impression that it's kind of moving. It's kind of the rough stage before they animate. And at this point, the show was, uh, you know, no episodes had been written. Um, and we, we had a look at that and we were asked to submit some ideas and some and some scripts, which we did. And then Ben and, and, and the other people that work on the show uh, liked them and, and kept us on. I think initially it's, it's interesting to hear them talking about a... Uh, American style of team writing and that that was the original idea for Gumball was that there would be a team of writers that produced very sort of light outlines what we would call an outline as opposed to a script Um, and then the storyboarders would would flesh them out as they as they worked on them which is more what happens with a show like Spongebob but that quickly proved not to be the correct path for Gumball because collectively we sort of had a sort of um vision for how it should how it should go and what we wanted the show to be and 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 we learned early on that that would depend on very sort of tightly written scripts and so the model changed in the, those first few months from this large team idea to effectively myself John and, and Ben Bockley who's the creator sometimes with Mick Graves the director just working in a very small room, writing, <laughs> writing line by line. And when you, um, if you think back to that first animation test, would you say what you guys came up with from um, a story and narrative point of view pushed the very hybrid visual style that the shows ended up with? Did did that push what came first? Or? I think the visual style was definitely in place when we, when we came to it. I mean, you know, obviously throughout the process of writing it, we've developed new characters and locations. And, and I would say if we have influenced that style in any way, it's to do with the sort of the sequences that we've written, the most like pushing for cinematic sequences and locations, action sequences, things like that, tonal stuff. But in terms of the look and so design... So the very mixed media thing was the mi- there. That you was, just pushed it and was, really complemented it with what you tr- then tried to write. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That that was definitely already in existence. Mm. And, 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 you know, a big, a big tick for us in terms of something that we wanted to get involved in. Mm. Yeah. Ellie, are you often working as as a part a part of a team on a on a Tracy Beaker episode or no, not so much? Um, I'm the lead writer, so I sort of we storyline with the other writers. We have storyline days, um, and when Ben and I wrote the first two series, I think it was together or various episodes of that. So we would bat things backwards and forwards, and so sometimes I work on my own, sometimes I work with with other people. 
but it's it's a very collaborative process. Tracy Beaker Returns is a very you know it's it's very much a team show, I think. And in terms of different different kinds of programs like MI High or Short and the Sheep, clearly must go through different kind of development processes to get to the screen. And what's so hard when I get sent writers' samples from Shaun the Sheep because it literally is little blocks of description. Well, there's no. Di- I mean, no. what's interesting is there's absolutely no dialogue in Shaun mm. the Sheep. And I, I did another writing. show called Tiny Planets, oh, yeah. uh, which has no dialogue mm. either. And originally, I did something for the Media Merchants um, called Cuthbert Lily. He's so silly. There was no dialogue in that. You have to be very, very specific how you write. Okay. How you write. I mean, with Shaun the Sheep. You, because you, you then would work with the animators as well, and so they're adding stuff in a room. You, you do all sit in a room and just yeah. so you've got the base story, and then you'll go away and rework it. But um, so you have to be very clear about describing what you want because that's what they're going to animate, and also they will add to that and add gags, and because they're great animators. Um, but yes, when you're writing stuff with no dialogue, you have to be very yeah, particular very about specific. about what you about what you want and what you want the look to be and where the gag is. And because all the visuals tell the story, there's nothing. Yes, there's no there's, exposition. There's to no. Help I mean, there's sound anywhere. effects, but mm. nobody, even the farmer, doesn't talk. Mm. He makes noises. How, how uh, do you so, so? How do you get across the sense of timing in a sequence like that? Because I would imagine that with something that's so silent, you know, that a, a really crucial element is the timing of a gag how a gag is played so there's you know like you can easily write oh he he spills the drink on his lap but like how do you indicate the tone of the joke if you see what I mean (laughs) well I just one just sprang to mind there was a gag where the big fat sheep snoring and she's keeping Sean awake and I did a gag where the the snores making something on a shelf above the head Mm. reverberate so and I think it was a funnel a metal funnel and then it covers somebody I can't remember if it was Sean or Shirley and then so the the snore then it must have been Shirley the big fat sheep because then the snore goes right out the barn so you just but you just have to write that and then hope that the animator will pick it up because you can't be you know this will only take two seconds because they're not done like that Uh But so I, do you write shot by shot? Will you say like cut, cut to the shelf? It rattles along. Cut to the sheet. Well, I always write it like really, I. I, always think I, when well, I, I don't know. Script. I just always write it like a story. But but uh-huh. then you, each little bit goes on a separate line. So you know that's a new look. And like that's an action a new beat. look. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I just have one more, one more quick question for, for for Maddie on this. So, do you find yourself using writers with with a lot of experience in writing for children, or or mm. is is it easy to adapt to? Uh, I mean, in fact, yeah, this is for all of you, I guess. That's Yeah, I mean, I, I would say there's no hard and fast rules. I mean, we have writers who are writing on everything, you know, from House of Anubis who write for adult stuff and who write predominantly, you know, one writer who writes predominantly in all preschool. But it's the most important part of the process. The right team, bringing together people who can write comedy and who can write perhaps much more um, emotional episodes and just forming a team of people who really get the importance of story and character and are interested in Interesting, great narrative. That's all it really. They, they can come from anywhere. Great writers. Yeah. Are, we, we're the know. same on on Trace Speaker Returns. You know, I, I read a lot of scripts for, for potential new writers, and you've just got to have something that grabs you. And the team we've got are, are all, you know, interested in story. They can write, hit the emotional stuff, mm. get some gags, not gags, but comedy in yeah. as well to to lighten it because. Mm. That always helps. Mm. Uh, so I think it's more than that. I mean, I specialise in kids. I have done a little bit of adult stuff, but I've chosen to work with young people. That's what I like. Mm. But we do, we've got 
people we've got writers from Corrie we've got writers from Emmerdale it's skill set isn't it and it's bias for John and I when we work we you know we do a lot of kids stuff but we also do a lot of adult stuff and we've just been uh, writing our first movie as well and we have a sort of adult sitcom with E4 which at the moment which is a very very different approach but the mechanics are the same and the rules are the same it's just the bias and tone that you apply to a particular script it has to be determined by the audience that's going to enjoy it, I think. You know, kids' writers don't have to be only kids' writers, exclusively kids' writers, um, and, and the same with adult, adult writers. I, I think you definitely can have different am- ammunition in your gun. And I mean, I definitely remember with Bear Behaving Badly, which is frivolous, silly nonsense with a blue puppet, being sent scripts from a writer on Green Wing um, who <laughs> ended up coming to write on Bear Behaving Badly. And, you know, the content of the script was completely and utterly wrong for Bear Behaving Badly. Absolutely. But you know what? He could write great comedy and I knew he'd be right when he came on uh, on board and but it didn't that, make any but difference. But that's the thing, isn't it? You're looking for something in a... When you're reading a writing sample, it is, you know, you're rarely going to get something that's really appropriate necessarily for what you're doing but what you're looking for is dialogue. Do people really talk like that? Because a lot of the yeah. dialogue I read, they don't. Um, you know, is it a good story? Um, do I care? I mean, that's really the... Do I care enough to read beyond page five? That sounds so yeah, brutal. Do you get bored? But it's like, am I... You know, do I want to keep reading this or not? Um, and I think that's that's quite telling. Great advice. So uh, moving on to the, the wider picture of, of where things are headed in the future... It's uh, time for us to hear from someone whose job is to commission uh, the upcoming hits. This is Cheryl Taylor, controller of the CBBC channel, talking about how their hit Wolf Blood started as an idea in an aspiring TV writer's head. Debbie Moon, who wrote Wolf Blood, came up with the idea at a writer's room session. So this idea was then picked up and taken in-house and developed and now is a 13-part series and will be going on to another series. And that's just an example of how if you do get involved in the writer's room, eventually your idea can reach the screen. Wolf Blood is interesting because it's quite a sophisticated drama. And again, for CBBC, I think we're looking to age up our dramas a little bit. We've got Tracy Beaker, fantastic feisty heroine. And I think because Danny Harmer's leaving the channel, I'm looking for more feisty, dramatic heroine to kind of do the right thing for the wrong reason. We've got Russell T. Davis, who's just delivered Wizards vs. Aliens, which is fantastic. So I think we've probably got sci-fi covered up in that respect. It's interesting, Russell T. Davis says anyone who writes for adults can write for children, they just have to do it better. And I think there's some truth in that. I think you do have to know your market. I know there has been instances where what you might call grown-up writers have been asked to do something for CBBC and the result has perhaps been a little bit self-indulgent and the audience, our audience, um, haven't warmed to it. But I think, you know, if you've got a good, strong idea, we can do on CBC Channel anything that can be done on the terrestrial channels. So we welcome innovation, we'd like to be surprised by new ideas. So if you think that our audience will like it, send it to us. Cheryl Taylor there, talking to BAFTA in Salford earlier this year at an event called Meet the Commissioners. More videos with other commissioners are available on our BAFTA Guru website. Well, in fact, this is a question for for everyone, I guess. You're probably all talking to uh, channels about the sorts of things they're looking for, but do you find they're also open to new ideas? I think they are. If it's a good idea, I think they'll be interested. I have to say, if you're wanting to pitch something, then you need to know what's on because it's a very easy mistake to make and you might pitch something that you think is the best idea in the world. We might have done it a couple of years ago. or you know. So you just need to be aware of what's on so you're not pitching similar stuff because often people just pitch in isolation if they're new to 
to writing. So you need to know um, the different markets. But I, I think it is about, you know, they're always looking for good comedy ideas, good sitcom ideas and, and something fresh. And of course, it's hard to keep producing fresh Fresh material. James, did did you see or did, did did you think there were oh, there were opportunities? Did, did you want to work in children's TV or did the right thing just come along? Um, I think that uh, John and I have always just wanted to work on something that's exciting, challenging, and rewarding. And I think the thing with writing with for kids TV in a way is that you can't write for children. If you see what I mean, you have to write for yourself, and you have to write for things that the especially when you're writing comedy you have to write things that that you're going to find funny we're always looking for a project that's going to excite us and if that's a kids project or an adult project or a theater project or a film project whatever it is you know you you have to want to write you have to want the juices aren't going to come out through squeezing they have to they have, you have to sort of inspire <laughs> I it feel out your to, pain. <laughs> do, you, do you know what i mean though no, like, absolutely it's got to be a, it's got to be a great idea because sometimes you know i get offered stuff and you know it's really nice to be offered i'm always really grateful but you go you know what i wouldn't know where to start it's, the, it's you've got to want to do it because it's painful enough sitting in a room talking so, to yourself you know? yeah and and it, it's such a hard thing to say no to something you know yes. you know and and, yeah. and uh it's it's a really difficult time when you, when you come to a point where you think actually do you know what this this is a great offer but I've got to say no to this because I don't want to do it you know and I call it writing in character you can't write in character like like you can write <laughs> you can write for your characters if you want to write well or good I don't know what the correct uh, <laughs> if you want to write well it has to it has to come out of you in in a, in a in a true way and I think that that you have to be excited about whatever project it is and I don't think that that is determined by whether it's for kids or for adults or for for whoever it's for I think that's determined I think by you're right. you've got you, you can't because otherwise you end up patronizing and that's yeah. just the worst mistake you could do don't you think Maddie with, yeah. and so you've got to treat the audience with respect mm. they're onto you in a second <laughs> yeah. you know and also they've got very short attention spans so you have to write really grabby material because there's too many choices ties into what we were saying before about the about the slapstick comedy thing it's like you can't write stuff that you think the kid's going to laugh at at the same time that's what you have to do but but it's it's something that's going to make them laugh not a joke for kids and and there's a sort of there's a there's a there's a subtle but very big difference there and i think that i think that often when you read samples from from people that that you know people that want to work with us on on gumball or something like that you you read it and you say i see what you've done here is that you've written what you think a cartoon is no, don't do that. Write something that you think's brilliant and then dress it like a cartoon yes. if, if you need to or, or, or give it a kid's show if it's a live-action thing. Dress it in the skin of a, of a children's show but make it a comedy or a drama or whatever it is you're writing first. Ben and I are doing this pilot script for the this animated sitcom that we're hoping to do or we're doing for the BBC. It's like things were making us really howl yeah. with laughter, not tears. And <laughs> so, you know, then you know, well you think, okay, that's really funny. It's or be I'd good. be giggling about it afterwards. And with Beaker our criteria was if we could make the script editor cry, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you'd done a good yeah, script. Yeah, then you then you're doing it all right. 
And uh, ju- sorry, just just in terms of, of broader audiences, is there a um, is there a big distinction made between children's and and family programming? And uh, I, I I think you mentioned uh, The Simpsons earlier, which is clearly enjoyed by by a lot of different ages. No one seems entirely sure whether Doctor Who is now a children's program. Uh, or not, you know, Waterloo Road was was apparently very as popular with with children as as Grange Hill. Like, is 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 that? Well, I think traditionally um, there there wasn't a family slot. Mm. I mean, the Americans make great family shows like Malcolm in the Middle, top love top it. show. Love you it. couldn't Massive have given that away. I don't care what anybody says. If you'd written that and tried to sell it here, do you think, Maddie? Yeah. But now they're more and more like Wizards and Aliens, Doctor Who shows. I mean, like the sitcom we're doing probably would be family as well. And, and the family audience on that Saturday tea time yeah, slot has become really, really important. And, you know, hopefully we'll start to see some great shows that would have initially been considered only for children's being able to make that crossover, which brings me on to something I was going to say. I think it's a really exciting time in children's at the moment. And um, we've been getting to a point. We're not there yet. And I don't know where the point is <laughs> um, for the past five years. But, you know, I don't know how many people who will be listening to this are aware that for really of independent production companies. It's been a good seven years since they've received any fully funded commissions from any broadcaster. They don't exist any longer. So every time you get a commission, whether it's Bear Behaving Badly for Us or Topsy and Tim or um, Baby Jake that we've recently made, everything is about going to look for your finance elsewhere. And that, to a certain extent, puts massive pressures on you to make sure your show is beyond good because it's got to sell internationally without you necessarily, and with finding very smart ways not to make a show which is too um, bland and doesn't hit a note with your UK audience. And Gumball, again, to come back to it, has been a a wonderful example of something which is very brave visually and narrative-wise that has done brilliantly internationally and just goes to show it can be done. And, you know, it's a great trailblazer in that way, I hope, for people to take more chances. But I think the other thing to say as well is the audience is massively viewing differently now and we're all faced with this challenge with everything we come up with and everything we write for my children don't come home and grab they're only three and five and gravitate directly to the television they're on the iPlayer they're on um, iPads and we're not a particularly technically brilliant family in that way but they're looking elsewhere for their entertainment TV isn't their one and only destination and they're coming into a world where there's so much else out there and I think what we'll start to see is a progression of so many shows like Gumball available in um, other ways, in other ways of taking part in these shows, that it won't necessarily be commissioning a show just because it's got a TV life. It will be commissioning shows that have got other lives as well as, and that's and, how the money and will when, make work. When, when you're pitching those kinds of programmes, are, are, you, are you increasingly aware of, of cross-platform opportunities? Or the, or the merchandising? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I've, I, you know, can you see well, that discussed? Because when... you've, got to get, you've got to think about how you're going to pay for the shows. So if you take a show like Baby Jake, we're, you know, we've made 52 of those now for CBeebies we will probably make our money back on the deficit funding we had to make as an indie in maybe three five years time and that's the same for all independent production companies and there's a a cynicism which I share as a parent about the merchandising that goes with shows but it's becoming essential to get the budgets so that the shows that that go on TV can be quality and are, are good and this hasn't occurred to the rest of the industry because no one else outside children's is going through this at the moment 
moment. And I predict in 10 years' time they will. And only children's will really understand how all of these very complicated international all deals di- have been put together. That the, that the TV show can, can have with it. That they need to in order for the TV show to be made. Everybody else is walking in and getting £300,000 to make a half-hour sitcom. Not in children's. <laughs> but also, I think... I think- it would also be a mistake if you're coming up with a concept for a show as a writer to start with the merchandising because you're completely then going to screw up the idea. Absolutely. It's like the idea is key, the characters are key. Mm. But if you get merchandising off the back of that, great. Yeah. Mm. But don't go in with that. Yeah, completely. I'm, I'm just scribbling out my idea. About, <laughs> like, oh, it's, There's it's, no money to make it's about a very, ex, a very expensive toy that comes to life. <laughs> Time now for some of the questions that listeners have sent in via Twitter and email and other social technologies. These are for anyone to answer, so so just jump in. So uh, our first one here is from uh, Emma Hetherington, and she says, How much does experience count? Uh, I'm a published author and have self-produced plus been commissioned, so CV is bulking up. That's all she could fit into 140 characters. I think it would help uh, a certain amount of experience helps i think it's harder these days when it was story of tracy beaker and they were only 15s we would take untried uh, writers on tracy beaker returns we have used writers new to television and relatively new to other things but it's a half hour so that's a much bigger risk again it, I, I guess it comes down to the writing sample do you think maddie yeah, that's I mean, your we've sort of- got we've tried to bring on Three completely new writers to what we're doing with Topsy and Tim. They're 11 minutes. It's a bit more controllable. But that's within an environment of also very experienced writers. But if they can write with heart and come up with great ideas, that's brilliant. It's then all the other things that come with experience about writing a script, really. I, th- I think the other thing as well, it just suddenly occurred to me, was that if, you, if you've written a book or stage play, the thing is with television, you have to be really fast how you how you say things mm-hmm. and and things that you might put in a book you you would cut in a script because you hit the floor running because there's is the attention span thing and you want to keep the pace up so again just be, because you've written in another field it won't necessarily mean that it would be right for tv that there we are i, I hope emma, emma is satisfied uh, with that uh, this is a this is a, this is a quick one from, from she's uh, I, I assume it's a she at tiff smith tiff uh, anyway on, on twitter what's the best way of becoming a children's tv presenter any any advice be natural i think you've got to be natural as well and and sort of good in the cup in the to camera so you you come across you i mean it's so not my field so i'm talking in my previous life in children's before we got into narrative we worked on a lot of um saturday morning live shows as you did with number 73 and i'm always proud of the fact that um a 13 year old reggie yates um and a 15 year old fern cotton got their first jobs on television due to walking in through my door and um, being wonderful and clear with the way they um, were, uh, you know, they presented themselves on camera and uh, are still wonderful, great human beings now and haven't changed. So, Just one more very quick one. This is from Laura J again on Twitter. How has social media impacted how you work? Mm. You now have Tumblr people going, oh, 
Matthew Bainton is so hot. How do you deal with that? And I'm not sure if there's more to that tweet. Any, any, <laughs> any. Well, in fact, do you, do, do, do you use Twitter very much? And if so, where where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, I'm I'm shamelessly all over all social media, like <laughs> like a internet whore. Um, <laughs> I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter at James Lamont. You can find me there. I'm on Facebook. The whole thing. Also, we're on Formspring, um, which is a really interesting website where. Um, uh, we actually got asked to start Formspring accounts by some of the people that watch Gumball. I guess it's like Twitter or Facebook, but the, but the whole site is designed around questions. So you start a you start a Formspring page with the express intention that anyone that's interested in one of your shows can send you a question and then you answer it. You know, we get loads of questions on there every day. Uh, really interesting ones about different ideas they have about characters or this or that or things they want to know about how to write stuff that's that's a lot of fun yeah quite, Ellie that's that, that's quite quite a high benchmark that James has set there. <laughs> yeah I'm going to seem like a dinosaur now <laughs> I, I have a Twitter account but I, I very rarely put stuff on it because also a lot of the stuff I do what, what, for the sh- what, what's it called I'm slightly ashamed to know I, I think it's Ellie B. writes, but I can't well, quite remember perhaps we will search for it I'd... sorry about that um, but also because a lot of the stuff I do is complicated confidential so I can't I can't put it out I can't say I'm working on this or I'm developing that because yeah, yeah, it, that you know it, it I can't put it out Could claim you're inventing your own social network and so, um, <laughs> and, and, and Maddie well and are you are you dealing with an audience who, who are using these kind well, of technologies well this is how much things have changed uh, you know we now have somebody who works for us two days a week they do two short days and then the rest of the hours to make up those days per week they spend every day keeping up to date our Twitter and Facebook accounts for all our shows because actually that type of marketing directly with your consumers is so vitally important. And who'd have thought five years ago that instead of just you know hiring a PR company, that's now what we do two days a week. We, Another job. We I think it's fascinating huge, as well. We, mm. we did a huge push for for Gumball when we released it on on the internet. We we wrote an animated bespoke content for Facebook, YouTube, Twitter even um, Flickr photo sharing site, yeah. um, all bespoke content, all brand new stuff to help launch the campaign. And it's the same with the adult stuff. A friend of mine works for Misfits and, and um, he's writing writing shows for them mm-hmm. now, but he started writing all of their all characters' Twitter mm-hmm. accounts. Yeah, amazing. Um, and live, live replying in character mm-hmm. from amazing. the characters while the show's yeah. on mm-hmm. and the whole thing. So, I mean, like, you were talking earlier about getting your merchandise package together. Well, you know, nowadays you need your game Absolutely. and you need your app. And, you know, we've got Gumball apps, mm-hmm. um, which all of those things, you know, character Twitter feeds, blogs, Facebook profiles, the whole, the but, whole you know, thing. But, what you what's interesting is that not just coming from oh and then we just add those on they're going right back to the heart of the narrative and being and, be, and being very true to the heart of the yeah, show well, they're they, not just they were dead keen that it was that it was you know me and john and yeah, ben coming up with the, exactly the, the content for this it's not mm. subsidiary stuff no. anymore no, it's, it's it's part of the package and also people just expect it like no matter what it is because because of you know google and the internet and all of this sort of stuff like if i if i see something interesting on television i expect that I can type it into Google and immediately have be satisfied w- for any of my questions. And if that's not there, I'm grumpy. And I think kids growing up now will will grow up in that world even you know even more entitled to that information. And if and if totally. producers my five-year-old son will ask me a question when I say I don't know, he says, "Can you look it up on the yeah, internet?" Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think that the showmakers going forward, be they writers, producers, or directors, have got to just 
get on board with that and, and accept that that's just an element of the show. An exciting vision of the future there. Um, I mean, it seems we've covered an enormous amount of ground in, 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 in the time we've had available. But yeah, thanks, thanks ever so much. I'm just going to join, uh, uh, join me in thanking our, our, our guests today who, who have been uh, Maddie, uh, Ellie and James. Thank, thanks Thank for coming you. in. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much. It was a pleasure. So that's almost it for this podcast. Just time to go through uh, the winter events coming up at BAFTA. A quick look at the office notice board tells me that we've got two Life in Pictures events coming up with Anthony Hopkins in London and Billy Connolly in Glasgow. Both are sold out, but stay tuned for videos coming soon on the BAFTA Guru website. And there are more top secret names coming in January too, I'm told. In London on the 17th of December, we're hosting a breakfast with TV's Factual Entertainment Commissioners. They'll be discussing what they're looking for in 2013, and tickets are just £5. And we're not slowing down after Christmas. Check out BAFTA.org for a conversation with Alice Lowe from the movie Sightseers and our Les Miserables sound design masterclass, to name but two. Plus, we've just launched BAFTA Crew, a networking skills development programme for film and TV crew working outside of London, now open for applications. We'll be putting on live masterclasses with major BAFTA winning and nominated heads of department from camera, art, sound, costume, post-production, VFX, hair and makeup. If you've got two film or TV credits and live outside London, then to apply to take part, visit BAFTA.org. You've got until February the 18th. Don't forget that all the events we've discussed here are available at BAFTA.org guru, on soundcloud.com BAFTA and on iTunes. And you can get all the latest news on upcoming BAFTA events by signing up for our fortnightly newsletter on BAFTA.org. My name is still Dave Green. The producer was Matt Hill. Now stop listening to podcasts and go and actually make that thing you were always going on about. Bye.